0: Bum bum ba dum, bum bum bam dum, bum bum ba bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba do bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, dum 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 bum 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 dum dum bum dum dum bum bi do dum 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 bum dum 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month, we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. This month, we're getting kinky in the bedroom with Susie and John from the Image Comics series Sex Criminals. And we're applying Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel to their relationship woes.
1: We're back. Ooh, like Poltergeist. Like Poltergeist, that's I've, right.
0: I've never seen Poltergeist, but you told me you were gonna do that before we recorded, <laughs> and you told me why.
1: Stop breaking kayfabe, Lisa. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, listeners. It's been a while since you've heard our dulcet tones.
0: Unless you did the smart thing. And went back through our catalog and listened to all of our old episodes, that would have been a very good use of your time.
1: Yes, yes, yes. But don't worry. We will not leave you uh, with such a long gap between episodes again.
0: On purpose. On
1: purpose. But it wasn't on purpose this time. You know, and frankly... You should be used to it. As fans of sex criminals, you know that <laughs> when a story arc ends, you're going to have to wait 10 months to a year before the next one begins.
0: It's the podcast equivalent of edging.
1: So really, you're lucky that, uh, you know, we came back after three weeks rather than, you know, the entire year.
0: You can ride this wave right into the quiet.
1: <laughs> oh, or ooh. the
0: frozen realm. Hey, 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 huh? Lisa
1: we're keeping this PG-13, remember?
0: <sighs> we're going to try, but listeners, you know, if you've read the comic Sex Criminals, it is rated uh, triple X.
1: Yeah, it's not day. R. It's NC-17. We're talking Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls right here.
0: Which I also haven't seen. I tried to watch it, but like within a few minutes in, a stripper vomited and I was like, this is not my thing. <laughs> but if it is your thing, I'm not judging it. Or neuroticizing. Right, it.
1: right, right. But you're an emetophobe and you don't want to deal with that.
0: I certainly am. So,
1: Lisa, why were we uh, absent from the podcast world for so long? Why, 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 why?
0: Because we were locked in a parallel dimension that is movie world and we were at the Fantastic Fest Film Festival. In Austin, Texas.
1: Yeah, we watched, uh, well, I watched 38 films. Do you know the exact number of films that you watched, Lisa?
0: I have not counted, but right after this, we're recording our It Mod cast about it, so I'll count then. Though, Brad counts the short films, which I think is cheating. Uh,
1: A short film is still a film. No. 38 movies is what I watched. Length counts. Length does not count, nor does girth. It's It's the motion in the ocean, Lisa. I would
0: love to watch a short film that's Uh, not so long, but very, very thick. Like, whoa, that short film was girthy. (laughs) That's dense. That's a Like a real wide
1: wiener. Uh, or, or, oh no, don't make me start singing wide wieners, wide wieners. Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. But before we jump into our Sex Criminals talk, let's, let's entice some of our CBC listeners over to the It Mod Chatcast channel, because we talked to a lot of really rad filmmakers when we were in Austin. Who did we talk to?
0: We talked to Bong Joon-ho. I shouldn't have opened that with that one. That one's super cool. Well,
1: that one was super cool. And that is the episode in the It Mod Chatcast channel that's going to start our Fantastic Fest series, which will drop on Wednesday.
0: We talked to him about his new movie, Parasite.
1: Oh my God, so good. Which
0: was amazing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mike
0: his best film. I'm just going to say it. His best film. I today.
1: I agree. I agree with you. It's his best film, and it might have been the my favorite film of the festival, and it's in my top five favorite films of the year.
0: It's definitely in my top five.
1: Yeah. Uh, we also spoke to Takashi Mike.
0: That's right. That's about, nuts. About his latest film, First Love. Takashi Mike, he is a person who has uh, some... Uh, Kinks and sexual stuff.
1: Yes, he he. Not that. in
0: this film though. His film First Love is very very sweet, and I think that it is a good entrance piece. Like if you've never watched any Takashi Miike films, like don't start with Audition, start with First Love.
1: That's, yeah, I agree. First love, then audition.
0: Don't start with Ichi the killer, mm. is that him?
1: Yeah, 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 that's Yeah, him.
0: don't start with that. Uh,
1: we also spoke to Tim Robbins of the Shawshank Redemption.
0: I know, wild. Get your patchouli stink out of my store. <laughs> that's high fidelity. Uh,
1: he was there with his son's new film, uh, VHS, Jack Henry Robbins, we spoke mm-hmm. to him as well.
0: Super cute, Kiri Kinney.
1: Kerry Kinney. We spoke to Richard Stanley of The Color Out of Space, We spoke to, oh my gosh, the entire cast of VFW, William Sadler, Martin Cove, Stephen Lang, and director Joe Bigos.
0: Wild. We talked to Justin Long. That's
1: what I was going to say. Justin Long, your uh, boyfriend.
0: I think he's dreamy, and I don't know why. I like a not confident man. I like a man who looks a little nervous.
1: So if you want to hear all of those conversations, jump on over to the ItMod Chatcast channel feed, subscribe, and prepare yourself, because we got like 10 interviews out of Fantastic Fest, and all of them are insane.
0: Yes, and some of them I perform badly on. You guys get to figure out which one.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's not let's not focus on the negative. Oh, and sorry. I didn't think that episode was that bad. That okay. interview was fine. Actually, it was it better fine. than fine. It was actually really good.
0: Do you hear how he builds me up? That's good. That's good. Couples yeah. therapy.
1: Anyway, right Fantastic Fest was rad. Super Can't wait rad. to go back. And that's why we weren't talking about sex criminals, but we are now. Yes. We are closing out the books on Sex Criminals, volume five, five five-fingered discount from authors Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Yes. But don't worry, even though we're done with Sex Criminals for now, Zdarsky and Fraction are not. A volume six is in our near future, and Matt and Chip actually promised to finally finish the saga by 2020. Amazon.com actually has volume six listed, Entitled "Sex Criminals" Volume Six, "Sex Criminals" due out in December of 2020. So that's we'll,
0: exciting. Should we? Are we going to circle back around and cover Volume Six?
1: Yes, we will. Nice. When that's finally out into the world, we'll come back and do a bonus episode focusing on the end of John and Susie's comic book relationship. I assume. Who knows what they uh, what what actually ends up happening for those two?
0: It's weird. Like my heart is skipping a beat knowing that. The next volume is l- like a little over a year away. Uh, Yeah. And when we read volume one, I was like, I don't know how I feel about sex criminals. And then volume two, I was just like, why won't Chip and Matt get out of their own way? And now after volume five, which I'm going to say was my least favorite volume to read. Oh, I super care about what happens mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. John and Suzanne. I want to see it yeah, work yeah, out. Yeah. So If it ends with them breaking up, I'm gonna be mad.
1: As of the Emerald City Comic Con in March of this year, Chip said that he has the script for issue 26, and they should be getting the first issue out by the end of 2019. Well, it's October now. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, fingers crossed that they make that December 2020 uh, amazon listing yes all right but lisa we're not just saying goodbye to Susie and john we're also saying goodbye to esther perel and mating in captivity and i have it on good authority that you're pretty happy to see her go
0: yeah um yeah i ended up being pretty underwhelmed by dr esther perel and i'm a little disappointed because i saw her popping up and like she comes up on uh dan savage's podcast all of the time she's seen as this super open person which which she is i don't want to take that away but her writing style the way that she writes about her mode of therapy just doesn't feel very scientific to me yeah
1: we've talked about that on past episodes it's It's very anecdotal it's
0: anecdotal um like I assume it's evidence-based, but she decided not to put any of that evidence into the book. So even though I agree with a lot of what she said and says, she's not that interesting to read. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, but how are we going to say goodbye to her? How is Mating for Captivity going to apply to this final volume of Five Finger Discount?
0: We're ending our discussion about Dr. Esther Perel in regards to how we can apply it to sex criminals on chapters that have to do with the two subjects that she's most known for the application of fantasy and the application of infidelity to sustain sexual relationships dr esther perel is a world-renowned psychologist and couples therapist and in her book in captivity unleashing erotic intelligence she explores why in committed long-term relationships where the couple is ver- still very much in love, the sex sometimes dries up. In our last episode, Esther Perel had a lot of cri- criticism about how we as Americans throw all of these societal hurdles into the bedroom. Right. For example, we overvalue talk intimacy. If we don't say everything we're thinking to our partner, then we're not being intimate. Um Our desire to be politically correct and upstanding citizens in the bedroom, right, so we don't necessarily want to realize all of our kinks if we think that it could be taken the wrong way or could be considered offensive. Well, you don't
1: want to be shamed.
0: Right, right. You don't want to do something that will bring shame to you, you mean, yeah. yeah. And our ingrained Protestant work ethic gets obsessed with sexual results. Are we having orgasms? Are we having enough, right? Right. So we're getting all bogged down.
1: Yeah. Orgasm equals success equals good sex.
0: Exactly. So now Dr. Perel has pointed out all of our fatal flaws when it comes to effing. So now let's talk (laughs) some solutions. Mm. Solution one comes from chapter nine of Flesh and Fantasy. In the sanctuary of the erotic mind, we find a direct route to pleasure. Dr. Perel points out that sexual fantasy is often thought of as what she calls the poor man's bread or a substitute for erotic pleasure in reality. It is often seen as a symptom of neurosis or immaturity that should be overcome. But in her practice, she sees fantasy as a resource that couples can tap into to have more satisfying, erotic, adventurous sex. It's transcending reality, rather than replacing reality. Our fantasies allow us to negate and undo the limitations imposed on us by our conscience, by our culture, or by our self-image. Fantasy doesn't mean you have to have props and costumes. They don't even have to be graphic or well-defined. Fantasy includes any mental activity that generates desire and intensifies enthusiasm. Dr. Perel points out that sexual fantasies are often desires that you don't want to happen literally. If someone fantasizes at their desk job about going to Tahiti all the time, they probably want to realize that fantasy by getting on a plane and going to Tahiti. But sexual fantasies are often things people don't actually want to happen. They involve an element of pretending. For example, a person who is into bondage doesn't want to literally be locked up in a prison so they can't escape. With that in mind, be open to discussing your sexual fantasies with your partner, if it's something you want them to participate in. But don't feel obliged to. Dr. Perel is all about autonomy. So some of your sexual fantasies are to share, some of them are just for your own amusement and pleasure. One thing that does bother me about how Dr. Perel talks about fantasy is that she's all about not neuroticizing it, not, not pointing at it as a symptom. Mm-hmm. But when she uses her examples of couples who are indulging in fantasy, it's generally a fantasy that has to do with something that they're not getting out of their partner. So for example, let's say there's a couple, Steve and Anita, Right. And Anita fantasizes about being a dominatrix. Well, she's fantasizing about being a dominatrix because she doesn't get to be assertive in her regular life, or she feels like her partner is running the show all of the time. So, like, she still Dr. Pearl still talks about erotic fantasies as if they are a bizarro universe of their reality. Okay. So to me, I think that it's more open to talk about fantasy with like the idea that someone could be a bossy boss at work and still wanna be a bossy boss in the bedroom, like.
1: Yeah, there's it's not like a mirror universe situation.
0: Yeah, that you can like, yeah, your erotic fantasy or your kink or whatever can have some kind of root in your real life. But the importance is not the root. The importance is that's how you get your pleasure. And as long as it's not hurting anyone or victimizing anyone, you should be able to explore it. Yeah, Either literally or in a fantasy.
1: Narratively, often it's the bizarro situation. It's the mirror universe situation because that is appealing in an artful sense, right? Like, you know, uh, what's that silly T-shirt? You know, like... um, uh, a nun in the streets, uh, a demon in the sheets. Yeah. Is that a thing?
0: <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the the Madonna whore. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what everybody's ideal wife is, a Madonna whore. And I just think that that's a really limited way of talking about fantasy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we should take our fantasies at face value and go like, Is this something we can do and try? Awesome.
1: Well, even though sex criminals sometimes does fall into the cliche of this bizarro universe situation, it also shows how sexuality is, um, you know, there are many flavors. Right. You know, it's Baskin-Robbins. Sexuality is Baskin-Robbins. You go in, there's Rocky Road, or you can have um, Chunky Monkey.
0: But there's still going to be the thing you order all of the time. Vanilla. <laughs> That's what Brad orders, <laughs> but also your fantasy does is not the same when it enters reality. We think about John and the black box. He's obsessing about that black box all of the time. In this volume, we see that the black box is a sex club. <laughs> yeah, and when spoilers,
1: go- I was disappointed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same.
1: Although but- the metaphor might not be over.
0: But when he went into the the black box to realize this fantasy, he realized that it wasn't the, the reality of it wasn't quite the same. And some fantasies just work better as an idea, mm-hmm. like doggy style. that's better as an idea. because in a, like it's like your arms are tired. like I don't I mean, I don't do enough lifts for that. Oh, stuff. Oh
1: gosh. all right. well, you know, but that 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 idea might be more practical for others, Lisa.
0: I'm not judging. We're not judging. I'm just saying oh. I have no upper body strength.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Okay, solution number yeah. 2. Mm-hmm. So this comes out of chapter 10, The Shadow of the Third, Rethinking Fidelity. In this chapter, Dr. Perel makes reference to attachment theory, saying that our desire for monogamy comes from our wanting to feel oneness again like we felt with our primary caregiver. Our adult relationships are just acting out our maternal bond again and again and again. Dr. Perel points out that our mothers, however, were never faithful, which is something that I've pointed out in past episodes when we talk about attachment theory. Like, we have one and only mother, one and... Like, our one and only mother. But
1: that mother has been something else for other people. That's
0: right. She's got a jealous lover. Gross. Probably your dad. Oh. And uh, my mom was open to see my other siblings. Oh. And Dr. Perel says that gives us a sense of betrayal Mm -hmm. from the beginning. And we're trying to avoid that betrayal with monogamy.
1: That's why I feel weird every time I see old photos of my mom in miniskirts.
0: Ooh, weird. I don't, I mean... I guess that's not an on-the-podcast conversation.
1: Let's not unpack that right now. Mm
0: -mm. We're both (laughs) uncomfortable. Um, But if it's attachment theory and we want to just have our mom all to ourselves again, like, how come that didn't open me up to having an open relationship? Because I felt loved by my mom. She loved my other siblings. I, I never felt, I guess... I competed for her attention a little bit, Uh, but I turned out great. You certainly
1: do and still do.
0: Oh, (laughs) transparent. What? Just because I was a performance major and got straight A's doesn't Uh mean I'm vying for my mother's attention. Mm,
1: uh, I have other ammunition in this uh, weapon here, Lisa, and I'm going to choose not to fire it. Dun,
0: dun, dun! Your mom in miniskirts. Your mom in miniskirts. Stop it! (laughs) But there is an irony there that, we see an adult who never cheats on their spouse, but gets divorced and remarried as someone who is more faithful than someone who has been married for 50 years, but had one affair. Hmm. So there's clearly a, like a double standard there. Sure. Dr. Perel pinpoints the root of infidelity in a monogamous relationship is when your fidelity is not something that you think about and choose every day. Rather, it's something that's, you are enforced to comply with. So you have to pretend that you never are attracted to another person ever again or or never see anybody or never have any kind of individual sexual experience. Right,
1: right, right, right. Yeah.
0: So what are our solutions when we want to keep fidelity with our partner, but we also want to have erotically charged sex? One suggestion from Dr. Perel is that we acknowledge the shadow of a third. So by a shadow, that's the idea that someone else could in- come into our sex life. Could,
1: yeah, okay. Oh, oh, come into the sex life? Yeah. Like a, a menage a trois situation?
0: Like a, like a menage a trois situation. Or like
1: an interloper, like an affair. Yeah. Okay.
0: Just acknowledge that possibility Couples should admit to each other that they find other people attractive and recognize that each partner has their own sexuality replete with fantasies that don't necessarily Mm. involve the other person. Mm. When the shadow is acknowledged, then you are more cognizant that you are choosing each other every day as opposed to being forced to be with each other every day.
1: So I should tell you all the women I find attractive that I that I see on the street Like Lisa, check out that bod, (laughs) it's banging.
0: Please don't. (laughs) Like, to me, I I read that and logically it makes sense. And I think that we do express to each other like the idea. One thing you
1: express, you will point out hot dudes on TV all all day long.
0: I am awful about it. You are, I am. And if
1: I were to be like, yo scar joe
0: whoo yeah i would die Woo. it is definitely a double standard with me and i wish i could mature fast like mature past it but uh, no promises on
1: okay all right all right all right but logically i agree with you this makes sense
0: but there is something i do mm. say to you which i think is kind of like a fun acknowledgement of the third i tell you all of the time like i could have chosen anybody like i am such a hot piece that's true that i could literally be married to anybody and i picked you
1: i agree and i I am ever grateful
0: so i think that that is kind of a fun way to acknowledge the third without necessarily pointing out people on the street and going hey sweetie hubba hubba am i right yeah but
1: when we're watching crazy rich asians you're like henry golding yeah yeah yeah. yeah. like
0: if brad was like do you know which one of your friends is hot i would be like "Ugh." No, thank you. I'm super jealous. And um, Dr. Perel goes like, is jealousy a sign of love or a sign of insecurity. Yeah, but I mean, you mean. D- but for me, jealousy is super a sign of insecurity. But luckily, I also have sure. all of these ways I doing it. I've, I've, seen I've your slipped
1: love. up and I've let you know that I find Rosario Dawson quite attractive. And, and you will I not let that get over go. It. So whenever she pops up in like a Zombieland trailer, you give me the devil eye.
0: Because she's tall and leggy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just not. <laughs>
1: Okay, so we need to acknowledge that third. Lisa, I have purchased a Marvel Legends action figure of Rosario Dawson. It was a two-pack. It came with <laughs> Luke Cage. It's fine.
0: So as long as Luke is there.
1: Yeah, Luke, Luke is there.
0: Luke is watching her. So we've acknowledged the shadow. Maybe for some people, acknowledging the shadow is not enough. So now you invite the shadow in. Hmm. Dr. Perel- I'm not
1: going to do that, Lisa. <laughs>
0: me neither. You is better not. I can't. I'm just not even. But <laughs> Dr. Perel is a huge champion for the open relationship. The idea that you can have a sexual life that is separate and non-threatening to your emotional life.
1: I mean, I acknowledge that that is a possibility for some, but I could not be in a relationship like that. Or at least certainly not with you.
0: No. Okay. No, I would not. Ne- I am not down for an open but relationship. But
1: I but like I said, like I, I you know, I could see that working for certain individuals. I'm, I and I'm not here to condemn those that do have an open relationship in any way. Right. But stay out of stay out of my couple.
0: <laughs> That's right. We don't um, swim. Dr. Perrell describes several couples who sexually open up their relationship in different ways for different reasons. Joan and Hero, for example, go to a swingers convention once a year. So for most of the year, they have sex with only each other, but once a year, they go to this convention, they have new experiences, they have new stories, and after that, they they feel closer. But again,
1: this is just anecdotal stuff. These are like little short fictions that she could be writing.
0: Right, and some of them I find super cliched. For example, the who she uses for her recreational sex couple is Eric and Jackson, Mm -hmm. which is very clearly a gay male relationship. Mm -hmm. So of course in the gay male relationship,
1: they're They're allowed to have,
0: they're allowed to have all the recreational sex they want. As long as they come home and have that emotionally.
1: I want to see her documents. Let me see these stories. Let me me see this evidence.
0: Then there's Arlene and Jenna. So Arlene and Jenna are a lesbian couple where Arlene is much older than Jenna And this is an example of a companionate sexually open relationship. So Arlene is no longer interested in sex, but she doesn't want to say, because she's no longer interested in sex, her partner never gets to have sex So the young
1: one can go around. But again, that's a cliche. Like, that doesn't seem like legit. That just seems like a a, a fiction.
0: That being said, Mm. these relationships are not hedonistic free-for-alls, but rather explicit content contracts that are renegotiated periodically as needed so we're changing the definition of infidelity for these couples infidelity is not having sex with someone else infidelity infidelity is the breaking of a promise (laughs) so our promise to each other is that we're never going to have sex with another person but somebody else's private promise between them and their partner might be going to a swingers convention once a year or When they go off on a business trip, they're allowed to have sex with someone else.
1: Every relationship has different contracts. And as long as the contract is being uh, uh, adhered to, you're, you're good. And that, you know, when the contracts break, when the understandings between couples are shattered, that's when people split, divorce, what have you. Right. Sure, okay.
0: And what are we measuring the success of open relationships up against? Monogamous relationships? Because most monogamous relationships fail, right? Everybody, almost everybody, not Brad, but almost everybody has a few relationships that oh. they would consider serious hmm. before they enter their till death do we part relationship, if they ever get to that at all. So
1: Hey, I hit a ball right out of the park, first go. Home run, Lisa.
0: Yes you did. Yes. Don't you shame did. Me. I think it's I think it's awesome. And I've got you sexually molded to my whims, which is great. I highly suggest that, ladies. Um, where was I going? Oh, yeah. With open relationships, they also mostly fail. So sure. the most important thing is that the people who are in the relationships are happy and feeling fulfilled. So... However, you get... That's success. Yeah, that's success. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even a relationship that ends can also be... Considered a success because maybe that relationship was only supposed to get you to that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of people, a lot of my friends get hung up on the fact of wasted time. Like you put in this effort with this relationship and then it falls apart and you might as well just call it quits because it's never going to work out and that was a total waste of time and uh, why should I even get into another relationship again? Right. You know, everything is growth. Everything is learning.
0: Yeah, and ladies, freeze your eggs. Michelle Obama (laughs) recommends it. Amen. I haven't frozen my eggs because I'm not planning on using them.
1: No, because the world is full.
0: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We have been with John and Susie for five volumes now. Mm -hmm. Five. And in those volumes, we've seen them create contracts, renegotiate contracts, dissolve contracts. shatter
1: contracts. And... And we see the results of those contracts being shattered. And you certainly do at the end of volume four leading into volume five.
0: Right. And as you look at your contract as a couple, you begin to prioritize what you think you want versus what you actually want, Hmm. which I think is largely the arc, John's arc in this volume five. He goes from the idea of what he wants with Polly, going, having an open relationship, going to the sex club, and then thinking about what he actually wants. What, yeah, he, what actually, he had. Yeah, yeah, he actually wants Susie. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, so should we get into it? Let's get into volume five.
0: I am so excited to get five fingers in oh. to volume five. PG 13,
1: Lisa, PG 13. Okay, 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 okay So this volume collects issues 21 through 25 of the series Published between January and June of 2018 That's another year gap between volume four and volume five Like we were saying
0: Keep us guessing, we love it
1: (laughs) But volume five, what's interesting is You actually get a sense of that time jump between narratives A lot has happened between the last issue And the current issue that launches volume five Uh, Here's the basic plot synopsis cribbed from Amazon. It reads, Susie and John have that special something. When they have sex, they freeze time and do crimes. Well, they had that special something. In the aftermath of what would appear to be a breakup, where do our two love-crazy, time-freezing, sex-having bank robbers go? Rebound ahoy! Also, everything gets more dangerous and complicated, but it's okay. You know, it's kind of hilarious that the whole doing crimes thing is such a big selling point still in this book. You know, and even as recently as that Emerald City Comic Con interview with Chip Zdarsky that I mentioned at the beginning of the show,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's including the bank robbery element of the comic which hasn't actually factored into the story since volume 1. So freaking weird. Is this book that hard to sell to non-readers, to the unconverted Lisa? Like, how would you sell sex criminals to your friends? Would you mention the bank robbery?
0: I would, I guess. But also, I wouldn't... Like, I wouldn't try to sell someone on Volume 5. I would never say, hey, start with Volume 5. This is where the story starts getting good. But
1: don't you find it weird that in Volume Five's description, they're They're still still mentioning mentioning bank bank robberies? robberies.
0: Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Like,
1: I'm sure Image Marketing team is like, that is an amazing hook. That's what gets everybody. But I find it so bizarre by this point.
0: I don't know. Like, there is something to the, there toppling
1: a corporation yeah. using superpowers.
0: That's also a good hook. But like, to
1: me, like, that's all I need. If I'm handing this to, you know, a friend, like let, let's, you know, Darren, the disco dork on Twitter. If I go to Darren, I'm like, Darren, read this comic. Uh, this couple, when they have sex, time stops. That's all you need to know. It's a superpower.
0: Yeah, I think that that is also a really intriguing sell. I don't think that the bank robbery thing is the most important thing. And when the bank robbery thing didn't happen enough in the first volume, I was disappointed. I was like, I thought this was entirely about robbing banks. it's
1: just, I don't know, like in the marketing of selling the volumes after one, I find it absurd to keep bringing up bank robberies. And the fact that Chip Zdarsky still brings it up in conversations in 2019 is insane to me. But whatever, get off it, Brad. Just accept it. Let's talk about Sex Criminals, Volume 5. Where the heck do we begin with this book?
0: Well, you know exactly where I want to start. I want to start at the beginning and then go tirelessly page by page (laughs) through this volume.
1: Well, that's logical, I guess.
0: Thank you. So with uh, issue 21, we see that in a weird way, both John and Susie's lives have gone full circle. So John finds himself, just like when he was a teenager, back at Come World. But now Come World... The literal come world, the sex shop.
1: Is like an Apple store. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's like a dildo genius.
1: <laughs> Yo, You like like the dildo genius part. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Yeah, and then Susie is back living with her mom. But yeah. her mom is not the mom we met in volume one who this, is this abusive alcoholic.
1: I was so, like, taken aback by Susie's mom in this volume and we, her insane... Uh, dildo machine vibration machine.
0: She is in this post-menopausal stage of hypersexuality. And she just feels her, she feels such pride in her womanhood. And she wants to give that to Susie, but of course, Susie's like, yeah.
1: Yeah, and she, because Susie has regressed sexually in a lot of ways since leaving John.
0: Yeah, she just doesn't feel sexy. And now anymore. here she is
1: at home with her mom, who is the freakiest freak on the planet.
0: Right. So her mom, who looks like her mom, is not quite her mom, but the house that they're in is not the house she was raised in, but it has all of the same furniture. Yeah, it's
1: almost been like replicated like a dollhouse, like a, a museum to her past.
0: And it, Really, it it plagues Susie to yeah. be back in this position sharing a car with her mom while her mom is trying to encourage her to hold a mirror up to her vagina. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's so funny, like, revisiting these early issues because of our long gap that we had Mm -hmm. because of Fantastic Fest. It's been forever since I've read this volume. So bear with me while I try to, like, reconnect with the plot of this book.
0: Meanwhile, I have super detailed notes to refer to. That's why we're
1: the perfect couple, Lisa, and I can never shatter that contract. But, you know, in that house, there's a room with a computer and... When she gets on that computer, it's her dad's computer, right? Right. And she starts communicating with her father, or what she thinks is her father. But my question to you, Lisa, is, is that her dad? We don't know. We don't. like. So I didn't miss anything.
0: It's just one of those matte Fraction-y things where you go like, is this reality? Is it not reality? The rules have been bent and broken so much. Like, what is even happening You think here? it's
1: that? You don't think they're going to come back to it in Volume 6? They it's, may. I don't know. It's this cr- could
0: just be another... Cl- Play penis, ma'am.
1: Oh, oh, the scale's gotta come back. The scale's gotta come back.
0: <laughs> but don't move on so quickly, Brad. Oh, yeah. You're talking sorry. about volume six. Sorry. I'm talking about issue 21.
1: Okay, sorry, 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 sorry.
0: And in issue 21, John and Susie are both dating their fantasy people. Uh-huh. So John is dating and living with Polly. Get the name? I got it. Short for Polly I figured that out and he has all of the benefits of having someone to come home to, talk about his day with, but they're both free to see other people. Sure. Which sounds very John.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If that contract is working for you, that's fine.
0: And Susie is dating Jeff, a gallery curator or an art dealer, I'm not sure what it is. He artist.
1: runs the museum.
0: Yeah. On paper, the perfect guy. Yeah, but in the bedroom A real
1: snooze. Snooze. Snoozy snooze snooze snooze
0: Snoozy snooze and Susie snooze is not into his snooze.
1: Yeah. There's that whole page where he's just running on and on and on about art and she's not Not at all listening. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So just by coincidence, Jeff and Polly work together at the gallery. So when they're both invited to a fancy dress party... (laughs) At the gallery, they both make the same mistake, thinking it was like a British fancy dress party. Yeah, costume party. And they both show up wearing identical Freddie Mercury costumes. They're truly meant to be together.
1: John looks good in a Freddie Mercury costume, especially with that mustache.
0: Susie also looked good in that Freddie Mercury costume, but where was her mustache? Yeah, where was her mustache? Where was the commitment? You got to get the spirit gum out. (laughs) <laughs> and glue one of those thingies on.
1: Yeah. So that's how they reconnect after the time jump.
0: And when they run into each other at that party, with wearing the wrong clothes, circumstance considered, it's super awkward. And Susie is going like, well, of course it's awkward. We've broken up. But, but
1: to your point, because they're both in Freddie Mercury costumes, it's a signal to each other that, oh, maybe they are like the same human being and they belong together.
0: Exactly. And
1: it starts the, the tearing down of these other relationships that they have formed in the meantime.
0: But in, in a following issue, I want to come back to this because there is something even more than we think the same way yeah, that yeah, yeah. connects Susie and John that Dewey notices that I love. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. The important thing with issue 21 is that John and Susie are both in relationships that on the surface look fine. They should be fine, but neither of them are happy and satisfied
1: like they were when they were together. Were I, they
0: happy when they were together? Well,
1: not at the end, but the I mean clearly they were they they had never experienced such highs before, don't you think?
0: Yeah, and like I
1: romantic think,
0: highs. Right, they They had high highs and low lows, and now I think that they're realizing that the highs were worth it.
1: Yeah, that's how romantic fiction works. Yeah. (laughs) So while Suze and John are suddenly reconnected, we get a look at Anna and Dave in their relationship, and it's not the paradise that he thought he was going to have with her. The ghost of Myrtle Spurge hangs On his shoulder or on his couch, you know, like not literally, but he can't let go of the sexual insanity that he had with Myrtle Spurge when he's in a relationship with Jasmine St. Cocaine, who was this other crazy sexual fantasy.
0: Right. We've seen this cycle of somebody getting to date their fantasy played out in Dave and Anna's relationship. And now they're doing ordinary stuff like taking weekends away and going to the grocery store. And it's not all of the excitement that Dave expected, because Anna can't seem to get over him seeing her the way that other fans of her porn see her. She's right. just skeptical of him being into her for her person. And unfortunately, Dave isn't into her. because And a-
1: Anna knows it. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, it, and it breaks her heart, which is why she ends up at the black box where she awkwardly runs into John while she's hanging on a swing with a long <laughs> line behind her. Ugh, yeah. The one thing that John gets to do now that Susie is out of the picture is he finally gets to really dive into the Cooper Badal Bank Corp situation. And he's teamed up with Doug D. Douglas, aka Dewey, and Alex, and they've sent Dewey undercover to investigate bank court.
1: Yeah, and that's the cover of the graphic novel, the, the panel in which Dewey confronts M- Myrtle Spurge undercover. That For some reason, that one panel, that like panicked expression of Dewey's, where he's seeing Myrtle Spurge, is the cover of the entire volume, which I find interesting, but I'm not exactly sure why that's the cover.
0: Now that you say that, though, like, Dewey's insights really drive the direction of the book. Yeah, to your
1: point, yeah, Because it's
0: Dewey who discovers all of the energy going to Cooper Badal's office, and in poking around Cooper Badal's office, he gets fired, and it causes them to have to team up with Myrtle Spurge. And then we discover later that the reason that all of that energy is going to Cooper Badal's office is because his sexual power is apparently time travel and he is like back to the future using the almanac. But instead of using the sports almanac, he uses the stock market, I guess. And so he uses his sex power to go back in time and play the stock market. So what you're
1: saying is Dewey is the hero of volume five.
0: Right, and it's Dewey's insight that really clarifies to John how important his relationship to Susie really is, on like a microcosmic level.
1: Hmm. That's actually really cool.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I, love- I asked that
1: question and you answered it.
0: I Dewey might have just become my favorite <laughs> character.
1: Oh, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Lisa. Come on, come on, come on.
0: But Dewey is rewarded for all of his beautiful insights because. When uh, they team up with Myrtle Spurge, bus driver comes with her and they have a beautiful relationship.
1: What did you think about the revelation that uh, Cooper Badal has been using time travel, that his orgasm leads to the past?
0: I'll be interested to see how that connects to Suzanne's dad. Oh. Because Suzanne's dad- from beyond the grave maybe, has been communicating- With her, With yeah. Susie, and they uncover this mass conspiracy with Coober Badal and Bank Corp. And if we recall, Suzanne's dad was murdered at Bank yeah.
1: Corp. Yeah, oh, oh. Man, Lisa, you're so good at reading.
0: Thank you! I didn't think
1: about that at all. You're blowing my mind today.
0: Thank you. But you think about Cooper Badal and his bottomless resources for covering up this whole
1: yeah yeah sex yeah powers oh that's got to be yeah is this
0: is how he's able to do that
1: yeah yeah that's got to be uh-huh. I think it's also interesting visually how the time travel machine that Kuberdudal hooks himself up to is very similar to the black box sex club like he enters into this red room
0: oh yeah and
1: you know he has to like put all the gadgets on all his little bits to. Go backwards in time. And I'd like to know, like, what does that device do?
0: I think it just sucks.
1: Is, is that it's just a big sucking device?
0: I, I think it's some kind of vacuum.
1: And so the t- he does, does he not need the vacuum thing to time travel? Or he needs the vacuum thing to orgasm?
0: I, I'm guessing it's the latter. I think he, just like Anna needs all kinds of stimulation just to come. I think Cooper is in a similar he, situation.
1: Okay, okay. Well, okay. All right. But wow. we should uh, point out. Yeah, please point out more new things to me.
0: When it's Cooper Badal that actually turns Myrtle Spurge because when they find Dewe- when Cooper finds Dewey poking around in his office, he tells Myrtle Spurge to go back to Doctor. Dr. Glass yeah. to get more information on John, which Myrtle Spurge sees right through. She's just like, How could this therapist have any more information? You're just doing this to torture me because you You're know You you know that I'm in love with him and my relationship with my husband is yeah. dissolved. And that's
1: why she flips sides. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. So the band's all together now.
0: Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about John's relationship with Polly and how that relationship brings him back to Suzanne.
1: Well, it's because John takes Polly to the black box.
0: That's right. And when he goes to the black box and he sees it for himself, he feels like, oh, I, I don't belong here. Or at least I don't belong here with her. And he leaves. Yeah. And then later he is at work at Come World, And one of his exes walks up, George. And George is like, so what are you up to these days? Oh, and George has a husband and a great job. And he goes back to John and goes like, so like, it's so crazy. What have you been up to? Yes. It's so crazy to see you here. And he goes like, what, what's going on with you? And he's like. Nothing like this
1: is a classic cliche retail worker moment that I have lived that many retail workers live when an old friend stumbles into the Barnes and Noble and says, like, what have you been up to? And you go like, I've been at Barnes and Noble for the last 11 years.
0: I remember um, I was working the information desk and someone I went on like three dates in college, like came up and asked me a question. This is before Brad and I were married good long time yeah what
1: a terrible time in your life that was
0: and he walks up and he's like and it's like totally awkward and he's like hey how have you been I'm like oh good you know and he was asking about a book and I was also we're being awkward and I'm looking up his book and then I go okay Doug I'll just call him Doug Uh, I think his name actually was Doug (laughs) okay Doug I've got that book on order. he's like you remember my name and I was like It's on your ID that I'm using to send the (laughs) book to your house. It was just the worst.
1: But there's no shame in working in retail.
0: No. uh, I think I've learned my best life lessons working in retail. I'd be a completely different person if i had not had that all of humanity
1: in retail and it can either turn you into a dark human being or a bright shining light
0: a star trek creature it should be compulsory because i think that if everybody has worked retail before retail workers would be treated yeah it's like
1: uh you know don't be forced to work in the military be forced to work in retail you'll learn a lot
0: yeah but we're getting way off track
1: yeah yeah sorry, sorry sorry but by
0: running into george John realizes that his life in a way has gone nowhere and he ends up having to reflect on his life and he goes back to Polly and says like, it turns out we can't be together anymore. And he lays out very succinctly exactly what he's been going through. And it comes down to when he was a kid, his parents didn't his mother just left without any kind of explanation. And he just came to the conclusion that the reason his mom left was because he was a terrible person. And because he was a terrible person, he couldn't imagine anybody would love him. So he came to the conclusion that anybody who loves him would be in turn also some kind of monster, some kind of bad person.
1: Right. It's a classic archetype.
0: Right. And the reason he broke up with Susie was because he assumed that she must have been some kind of monster to be in love with him. But now because of the realization he had at the black box, which was further clarified by his, by his awkward run in with George, Mm -hmm. he goes like, I'm not a bad person. I'm just a person in, a circumstance. And if I could change my circumstances, what would they be? Well, my circumstance would be, I would be with Susie. Yeah, he goes, Susie. He flashes
1: back. He flashes back to their time together. Yeah.
0: Right. And I love how Polly ends that discussion. She's like, man, that was just the most perfect breakup. And he's like, can I sleep on your couch? And she's like, no, you have to get the <laughs> hell out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Go
0: Polly. Great person. I hope that she finds her Suzanne.
1: All right, but in the meantime... Yes? Susie and her mom's house burns to the ground because of that crazy vibration machine that she was operating. The mom was operating.
0: Yeah, she had some kind of...
1: Malfunction. Yeah. And whoosh, goodbye house, goodbye mausoleum to the past.
0: And also goodbye all of the evidence that... Yeah. ...Suzanne had printed out about... Cooper Badal. Right. Right, right, right. But... Through this kind of catharsis, this letting go, Suzanne also has a realization that her circumstances need to change. But I don't think that she has the clarity that John has. No,
1: and John goes from his breakup with Polly to the skating ring with his his gang.
0: Oh yeah, cuz Dave called them all there.
1: Yeah, and they all they all show up and you know, he's putting his skates on, he falls down and who helps him back up but Myrtle Spurge. She's in the gang now and he's like, "Whoa."
0: Yeah, it blows his mind and he he ends up having this another dream about the black box. And in his dream, the black box is burning and he's trying to talk to his former therapist, Dr. <laughs> Dave Glass. What could this possibly mean? But then to everything that Dr. Glass says, he's like, why would I believe anything you say? Because you brought that woman into this yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dave obviously has no idea actually what's going on because he still is in the dark about this whole sex capades secret world. But he knows that Myrtle Spurge is involved in some way with John and this mysterious guy, Cooper Badal. And he knows that Myrtle Spurge wants to make it right. And he is in love with her. And he wants to make sure that she can do everything she wants to do.
1: So we have the whole team, this very awkward team of of complicated relationships and feelings towards each other, but they don't have Suze. They gotta go find Suze.
0: So Dewey, Black box
1: is burning in John's head. Suze's house is burned to the ground.
0: That's right. So Dewey and the bus driver come to pick everybody up: <laughs> Myrtle Spurge and John and Dave. And is Anna there? Anna's yeah. there. Everybody's there. And they're going, they drive to Suzanne's house. They see that Suzanne's house is burnt. Now we're at the magical Dewey moment.
1: All right, bring us home, Lisa.
0: Dewey realizes that John and Suzanne are quantum entangled. So what that means is when you have two particles of light, they are related to each other, even though, even if they're not anywhere near or in contact with each other. So when two particles are quantum entangled, when something happens to one particle, it'll also happen to the other particle. So... At that party, when one person decides to dress up like
1: Freddie Mercury, Mercury, then
0: the other person dresses up like Freddie Mercury. Or when Suzanne's house burns down, John dreams of the black box burning down. They are connected not just by love and not just by shared experience and not even just by... Being similar.
1: But quantum, like on the quantum level, they are the same.
0: They are a pair. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. Do you think we're quantum entangled?
1: Oh, uh, um, I don't know if I believe in such mumbo jumbo, Lisa. Uh, I do think that, you know, based on, you know, my my emotions affect your emotions. Right. And so if I'm having a bad day, that usually means I'm going to cause you to have a bad day and <laughs> vice versa. But I don't know if, like, on a molecular scale we are entwined. uh, My brain doesn't really think that way.
0: I think about, like, Dr. Perrell and her obsession with autonomy. Like, for, according to Dr. Perel, in order for two people to connect, there has to be a separation. So, like... A couple who has become one in every way is a couple that's going to have no sexual chemistry Mm. because you can't make a connection because you're already one person. Uh Whereas, that's why she encourages autonomy. That way, you're always two separate people, but you are connected by your choice to be in a relationship and you're connected by your contract for one another and you're connected by your emotions, but you're still two things. And I think like the idea of two quantumly entangled particles kind of reflects that, that idea of you are two still two separate beings, but fate has created a connection between you where what happens to one affects the other. I feel like I've talked my, I've quantum entangled myself at a conversation I'm just talking (laughs) in a circle, but I think that, I think that, that, that is what John and Susie are.
1: and, And it totally makes sense from a narrative standpoint if you're writing a story about a couple who are maybe destined to be together or- And
0: are so different. Like Susie being the quiet librarian john being the
1: yeah i i promise criminal. you that if i was writing a story about us i would find some kind of metaphor to make it work that we are together forever lisa do not worry
0: and you'll try to include some kind of character difference between us instead of us being the exact same people as we we're are. not the exact same person <laughs> no, we
1: most certainly are not if we were you would love no country for old men as much as i love no no country for old men
0: that's right, like it would be a world where we're both correct, that movie is the most boring movie in which nothing happens. <laughs>
1: so not true. So much stuff happens in it, Lisa. All right, that's another podcast.
0: Meanwhile, they arrive at the hotel and then they take a moment to argue over who's going to knock at Susie's door.
1: Yeah, and we know that Susie is in the act of the, using the shower head, or at least they know she's about to approach the quiet because they've got the compass.
0: That's right. Anna sees the bloop on the compass and goes, like, "Who like I can't meet her there because it takes me, like, 19 and a half years to come. We
1: need Kegelface.
0: Exactly. Because K- Kegelface is the only one who can come on command. Right. So What's
1: interesting, though, is that she's in the quiet. They see on the compass that she has gone into the quiet and then Kegelface enters the quiet. I thought they couldn't do that at the same time. Yeah. Or th- it- I thought they had to be doing it at the same time to enter the quiet together.
0: I know. Because when Anna and... Susie and John went into the quiet. They had to time it using text and all of these things. Right. So I don't know. I think that this is some kind of. Screw up. Bending of the rules. It doesn't Mm. make sense to me. I don't know.
1: It was weird to me. I'm not sure how it works unless it's explained in volume six, which I doubt it will be.
0: The most important thing is that Myrtle Spurge is the one to knock on the motel door And then when Suzanne hears the knock, she freaks out because she's afraid, like, the sex police have come to get her. So she opens the door. She starts wailing on Myrtle Spurge. And then Myrtle Spurge manages to get out. Look who I'm here with. And she looks down and she sees John. And she is so overjoyed right
1: who are all not in the quiet so they're frozen standing still
0: right and he's making like a dumb face and she's like like you know when you get an unflattering photograph taken he's got a weird look stuck on his face and she is just so overjoyed to see him that she puts her hands on him and gives her him this kiss and somehow the kiss pulls him into the quiet with her.
1: Yeah, so is that her power? That's her power. She can pull people into the quiet. Do
0: you think she can pull anybody into the quiet or just John? Or does she have to kiss someone to pull them into the quiet? Uh, I don't know. Because remember from the first issue, she tries to mount him while they're both in the quiet and then he ends up leaving the quiet.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a Sleeping Beauty kind of thing. Maybe it is a kiss. I don't know. The
0: most important thing is... Once he has, she has him in the quiet with her, she finds the words to say that she likes him a lot.
1: (laughs) And that's the end of the book. That's volume five's conclusion. That's
0: beautiful. I don't think that we've talked about this in a previous episode. Excuse me if we have, but it's kind of reversed in this couple because it is John who initially was insisting on the talk intimacy of I love you and it was Susie who was avoiding yeah usually
1: gender-wise it's reversed yeah
0: yeah so yeah. I think that's interesting if we yeah. want to tie that back I into Dr. I
1: love Perl. the climax of volume five I mean that it, it is a very satisfying climax whereas at the end of volume four when they break up you were expecting them to break up and it's it's a bummer but it felt logical and I I guess well how do I want to bring this up but as far as you know, leaving me on a high, I'm left on a high. I love the revelation that her kiss can bring him into the quiet. She doesn't say I love you, but she could say that I like him a lot. But Lisa, you mentioned that this is your least favorite volume of the series so far. And I kind of understand why. I think I know why you don't like it as much, but I'll let you answer for yourself. What, what, what didn't uh, float your boat in volume five?
0: To me, I... Even though we just discussed and we talked over the whole
1: plot. plot
0: line of how they get back together, I still don't understand why they get back together. They have not resolved any of their differences, well, really.
1: sure. I don't think this is necessarily them getting back together. This is them going, maybe we should explore what we had or appreciate what we had more. Who knows where this series is going to leave them. I do think it's going to leave them together as a couple because that's how fiction usually works.
0: I just feel like there was a lot of treading water in volume five. Because
1: of the Polly Jeff stuff?
0: Yeah, and that it doesn't move I mean, it's not as enough. fun. It's yeah. not
1: as fun to read. Uh, and I think because of the time jump, that requires a lot of... Narrative construction around where they are now versus where they were, and that is not. It, it feels like they've they've pumped the brakes on the narrative, right? Like well, we
0: we knew that they were going to get back together because that's I what get, this that's story. Goes. Yeah, 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 that's
1: it's stories. That's affection. what the story's
0: going to be. So I just don't think that it was a particularly revelatory reuniting. Uh, but, Dewey but, stuff aside,
1: but 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 uh, I I mean just visually and emotionally, her pouncing down to him on the street and pulling him into the quiet for the kiss, I think is powerful. And we've been waiting for Susie to be revealed as having an extra bonus power. But and I, I just, think this is a pretty good one.
0: Yes, but
1: even if it is a little confusing
0: it's confusing, but it was just a full-on break of the action, like, during the action, like, they were broken up, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I, I,
1: yeah, I, I, I think it's because this is, it's such a slow book coming off of volume four. Yeah. I think it, it really does feel like they pressed w- rewind on the action, and so, you know, it, it it it's the it's the lull in the adventure before the rousing climax. And I think you will appreciate volume five more once we get to volume six. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, in 2020. But do you think volume six will end with Susie and John together like I do? Like it, it, it doesn't I seem like I hope
0: so. To me, I think, especially with the revelation of them being quantum entangled. To me, I would feel very disappointed if they did not end up together romantically because I think that this whole book is about how people can be different from each other but still make a family with each other, be each other's partner. Yeah,
1: it's interesting to go back and listen to episode one in this series and at the end of that first volume, I don't think I was at a place where I saw these two as you know, together forever couples, you know. Uh, but now, like, I'm really rooting for them to make it.
0: Right. I, I also think that because they are both people who are incomplete, they are both seeing their own faults and working towards becoming a better person, I think that increases their odds of becoming better people together. I yeah. feel like even though, you know, he's a, she's a little bit country and he's a little bit rock and roll Like, I think that they are, maturation-wise, kind of equals.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, It's so funny. We did uh, such a a, a, a purposeful job of getting all of Sex Criminals read in this conversation. So we read every single issue of Sex Criminals that's available to us, and Mm -hmm. I was like, this is going to give us a satisfying ending in the way that Saga didn't, but really- Maybe we shouldn't have started this book until six was out because I hate leaving John and Susie at this point.
0: Well, unlike Saga, neither of us had read the series all the way through. Right. So neither of us actually knew how it was going to end. But I am really excited to get to the next chapter. I yeah. want to, but I'm also glad that the next chapter will more or less be the last chapter. So <laughs> some, I'm ready for it to be resolved.
1: Right, right, right. Sometime next year, we're going to go back to Saga. We're going to go back to Sex Criminals. Sex Criminals will be definitely done for us. Saga probably has a few more volumes beyond the next volume.
0: What if John and Susie? They have a baby, but then the baby is conceived in the quiet. Like, what's what's going to happen? What's Is that baby going to have powers?
1: I mean, the baby's definitely going to have what powers. What if the That's baby is Benjamin Button? Oh, Ben Button, baby? Because
0: cause he's he's in the quiet where backwards? time doesn't exist.
1: Then he comes out as an old man. Yeah, and then, okay, I, like, it like doesn't ben make button. sense. It was an impulse,
0: I and I said it out loud. Uh,
1: well, it's forever caught on audio now, not erasing it. Nuts. Okay, Lisa, let's close it out with our conversation of what have we learned from observing John and Susie? Do we think John and Susie are going to make it? Is Esther Perel's concept of open relationships the way to go.
0: Wow, Brad, You just managed to ask three really big questions all at once. And
1: I want you to answer them with one sentence.
0: Here I go. Brad, we just discussed that they're going to stay together forever, so we don't need to cover that again. Right, 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 right. And from John and Susie, I feel like as we've discussed the course of their relationship or the cycle of their relationship, it reminds me that a couple should always be working to be closer together and to enhance each other's lives. John wanted to have the they, he wanted to have the contract. He wanted to have the I love you before the house was built, before he knew what his relationship would look like. Susie's more like, let's see what the relationship will look like. Let's build the house together and then move in. Does that metaphor work for I you? I think
1: it does. Uh, to me, what's I want to go back to a conversation that we had off mic several days ago about this couple mm-hmm. and how when you go into a relationship, it's best to go into the relationship and it's a best to approach life. With a growth mindset, yeah, right And you know that's a term that you have talked about a lot with your life as a teacher mm-hmm. and I think you should apply that to everything. you yeah. know because there's not an end point. there's not a victory, there's not a win. You, that's not how life works. You're always learning, you're always growing. And as long as you approach relationships and life with a growth mindset, you give yourself the space to better yourself. And, and 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 to fall into uh, a pattern or an understanding with the person that you're with.
0: Right. Like my big hang up is, am I entering this situation as a teacher or am I entering this situation as a learner? And by teacher, I mean like you go into a situation going like I'm going to tell everybody in this situation how it is.
1: You got to get those scantrons, all the bubbles filled.
0: And then you end up feeling frustrated and having everyone around you hate you where if you go into a situation like a learner and you go like here's what I bring to the table what what do you have that can enhance Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you said it very well Brad I don't know why I'm repeating it but yeah I think that John and Susie now have that idea of we both want this relationship Now, how do we build it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And of course, like I do at the end of all of our couple episodes, I realize that communication is key and you really need to be open and honest with your partner. And a lot of the problems in John and Susie's relationship occur when they're withholding information.
0: Yeah. And not only like communication doesn't necessarily have to mean compromise. Right. So if we go back to Dr. Perell, one of her big issues is couples when they be when they put themselves aside to become one kind of like one person, both both people move lose out. So in the first volume, Susie was doing what John wanted to do. John wanted to use his sex powers to create chaos and to do crimes. And In doing that together, she lost herself and she lost some of her sexual chemistry with John. Right. It was only when they openly communicated and recognized each other as different people. Like she goes like, I see that you want to use your sex powers to take dumps in in (laughs) potted plants and to be your own little rebel self. But really what I want to do is create libraries and and in one way or another. And once they acknowledged that difference, their sexual chemistry returned. But then they did end up breaking up over differences. And so now but differences
1: and, and John could not get past his anger.
0: Right. But now they've come to a place where. They're. Their sexual chemistry has returned. They've decided that no matter what, they're going to overcome their differences to build a relationship. So I think for them romantically, really the sky is the limit.
1: Yeah, I'm so, I'm just so curious and I'm just so desperate to get to volume six. Yes. (laughs) Oh, well, that's it. No more sex criminals for at least another year, probably. Uh, gosh.
0: Oh, Matt and Chip, you're such a tease. But we gotta put that tease... On our teas and shelf because (laughs) it's time for a new couple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That transition was so
0: smooth. (laughs) Maybe uh, my transition was spooky because it's October. Do we have a spooky couple coming up next?
1: That's right. Yeah. Uh, Halloween time. It's my favorite time of the year. It's one of your favorite times of the year, Lisa.
0: I love wearing costumes. That's the truth. But not in bed. That's not how I am.
1: <laughs> you've made that so clear this We're month.
0: vanilla, but we don't judge you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no judgment. Our next couple is a monster. If you've been following us on Twitter at CBCC Podcast, then you know that Lisa and I are big horror movie spooky story maniacs. And we're trying to kick off a new hashtag, 31 Days of Comic Book Horror Covers. But none of you jerks have jumped on this bandwagon yet.
0: Yeah, we want to see them tweets.
1: Yeah, I want to see your favorite Werewolf by Night covers.
0: Are we covering Werewolf by Night?
1: No, uh, no, no, no. I couldn't quite make that work. Uh, But I do want to tackle a couple that's been on my mind ever since we launched this podcast. Uh, A couple that I hold dear to my heart, but one that I don't think... You know anything about, I'm talking Alec Holland, a.k.a. Swamp Thing, and Abigail Arcane.
0: You are correct. I know nothing about this couple. Have you even
1: seen the movies?
0: There are movies?
1: Yes, there are movies. Oh, we're going to have to watch that this October. Uh, But yeah, I want to start at the very beginning with Alec and Abigail. So that means we're going to do a little hopping around the classic Swamp Thing comics from Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson. All right, so do you have a pencil? Because you're going to need to write this down. Lisa, your pencil. You just need to say that audibly.
0: Oh, I thought you wanted some Foley art. No. <laughs> I have my pencil, Brad.
1: Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to read House of Secrets number 92, because even though that is technically the first appearance of Swamp Thing, that's not the version of the character we'll be focusing on. Comics. Yeah. We're starting with Swamp Thing issue number one, which is Swampy's origin. Then we're going to read issue number two, which is the villainous Anton Arcane's first appearance. Then we'll read issue number three, which is his niece Abigail's Arcane's first appearance. But then that's where things are going to get a little weird because we're going to jump all the way to issues number 11, 12, and 13, where Swamp Thing and Abby first properly meet.
0: Ooh, jumping issues, kinky.
1: Yes, there won't be a lot of love between them in these early issues, but it will give you an idea of what they were like before they became an item. All of those comics, by the way, are collected in the fabulous trade paperback The Bronze Age Swamp Thing, volume number one. And that's an essential comic book, if there ever was one. Uh, Yeah, Lisa, I'm really, really excited about this.
0: Yes, me too, I guess.
1: Yeah, you, I, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. This is an era of comic books that you really appreciate. And Bernie Wrightson's art is crazy amazing. Yes, I, I, I've
0: experienced Bernie Wrightson's art most recently in um, Creepshow.
1: Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we had a whole episode about Bernie Wrightson's adaptation of Creepshow.
0: And the art is gorgeous. It's freaking amazing. his little, like, grass monster.
1: Oh, the Moss Man? Yeah. Oh, so good. But- Lisa, Abby, and Swamp Thing, they're gonna need a lot of help. Who's our guru with this couple?
0: I feel like we've been leaning too hard on doctors as our love gurus, Dr. Perel, Dr. Avila, Dr. Sue Johnson, and they've all been disappointing. Oh. So Mm. I've decided to go another love direction. Oh, And our love guru for Swamp Thing... And what's his lady's name? Abigail. Abigail is Common.
1: Common? The musician?
0: Yes. It's called Let Love Have the Last Word.
1: Oh, man. I have. (laughs) This month is going to be amazing.
0: Especially because, like Swamp Thing, I know nothing about Common. Oh, And the subtitle of Let Love Have the Last Word is a memoir. So I might just be sharing facts about Common. I'm not sure. I'm
1: so (laughs) excited. No, I think this is great. I Uh, love this. I love this. Cool, 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 cool.
0: Well, if we're ever going to get to that next episode, we have to finish this one. (laughs) So, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Where can our lovely listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
1: You can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. Please jump on over to the ItmoD Chatcast channel and listen to all our Fantastic Fest interviews. Like we said, Bong Joon-ho, Takashi Mike, Lisa's boyfriend, Justin Long. We talked to them all. They're really cool chats. Give those a listen. Yeah. Lisa, where can our listeners find you online?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And if I may give a little plug plug, if you want to read some of the reviews I wrote of the films that I saw at Fantastic Fest, you can find them um, on AfterMovieDiner.com.
1: Yeah, do yourself a favor, do that.
0: And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So until next time, folks, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport open.
1: I'm recording now. You can do your slurp. Do it. Do it. Torture me. That's disgusting. Thank you. I, I'm so glad we've got that on audio now. Stop. (laughs) Watch the microphone. Stop banging on it, Lisa. Uh, 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 Shall we do this audio check?
0: Audio check. Checkity check, check, checkity check. You're annoying. (laughs) You're annoying.